Yeah. See, when we talk about uh, cyber hygiene, that's an example of just being funky. Uh, not having <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that's cybersecurity bo. It's not the zero day. It's the the day fourteen hundred vulnerability <laughs> that seems to be the crux for a lot of data breaches that we've seen. This is this is tradition. I don't want to get us into a tangent, but this is traditionally why like engineers and cybersecurity guys we don't get along, right? Because <laughs> it's stuff like this. It seems like a, a cavalcade of errors, <laughs> yeah. so to speak, right? It's a lot of it's a lot of things that have kind of gone wrong. If somebody I truly cared about was using a service that was supposed to safeguard passwords that was the victim of a massive data breach, I would ask them why on earth are they still using <laughs> that service? Welcome back to another episode of the Cyber Guys Podcast, the cybersecurity podcast for everybody. My name is Andrew Valencia, and as always, I am joined by Michael C. Hill. And Mike, today <laughs> we got to talk a little bit more about LastPass because it's just it's it's just getting worse. The news that's coming out, and I think that it speaks a little bit more to how we deal with you know the application of enterprise cybersecurity. Yeah. But first, if this is your first time joining us on the Cyber Guys podcast, welcome. Uh, go ahead and make sure you subscribe. Hit that like button so that you can see all the new content that we have coming at you every single week. And if you're returning, hey, thanks for coming on back. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk a little bit more about what we just found out this past week about the LastPass hack and how that affects us uh, in our application of cybersecurity as a whole. Yeah, you know, it's really good that we're circling back to this because last time we talked so much about passwords and password management, but this one really highlights another really important fundamental of good cybersecurity. It, we call it cyber hygiene. <laughs> we call it the yep, basics yep. <laughs> of cybersecurity. And this is an incident that really highlights the importance of not forgetting the fundamentals. So, yeah, okay, so real quickly, let's talk about the specifics of what's been uh, discovered, what's been documented, and then we'll talk a little bit more about, about the, the broader picture here. So uh, the last past breach, right, we've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, it looks like it's been uh, – it, the entire hack itself is the result of a DevOps engineer not patching uh, a service that he was using on – uh, their home computer system. So specifically what's come out is that the streaming service Plex uh, had a security vulnerability update, uh, a patch that was published back in 2020. And that is what was used by hackers to gain access to this individual system. And that's where the last uh, pass breach started due to security patches that were over three years old not being installed on a DevOps engineer's home computer. Yeah, see, when we talk about uh, cyber hygiene, that's an example of just being funky. Uh, not having, I mean, that's, that's, that's cybersecurity B.O. I mean, that's some body odor 
poor cyber hygiene. Now, what are we talking about when we say cyber hygiene? Just let's just break, break it down very simple. Uh, just like physical hy hygiene, there are certain basics that everyone's expected to do. You know, take a bath, you know, put on some deodorant, you know, clean your clothes, you know, <laughs> wash your hair, you know, <laughs> get the guck out your eyes after you wake up, you know, basic things. Now, what are the basic things in cybersecurity? Well, good passwords we've talked about but also things like keeping the security baseline of your software up to date. In other words, if there's a patch, patch it. That's basic cyber hygiene. In this case, no one had to do anything super sophisticated. The hacker didn't even have to be a genius. You know, it, it really just brings up the, uh, the, the topic uh, of what is the cyber attack life cycle, all right? And the first day of the cyber attack life cycle, we call that the zero day, right? A right. zero day means we discover the vulnerability when it's being exploited. The thing about that, how many people can really find a vulnerability on their own and develop and exploit for it on their own? The, the, the list of sophisticated hackers that can do that is actually very short. I mean, that's why we, we worry so much about APTs, right, uh, Andrew? We worry about these guys that actually develop right. new technologies for, for um, breaching systems. Ab absolutely. And I, I don't want to jump ahead. And don't get me wrong. Zero days are, are definitely something that is concerning and things mm -hmm. that, you know, cybersecurity experts need to focus on. But we've seen time and time again that a lot of these massive breaches don't come from zero days. No. Yeah. They and, come and from systems that haven't patched a vulnerability in three years. In yeah, three years. Exactly. That's a three. It just, it's not the zero day. It's the, the day 1400 vulnerability yeah. that seems to be the crux for a lot of data breaches that we've seen. And that's the point. I mean, think about it. When it's a zero day, you only have a few genius hackers out there that could come up with it. Very, very, very few. But what happens? Eventually, once they figure out that an exploit works, they've identified the vulnerability, their tactic for exploiting that vulnerability is functional. It works. Well, now what do they want to do? They want to actually codify it. They turn it into what we call an exploit kit, a program, some sort of cyber weapon, something that can be deployed, something that maybe can be downloaded through a phishing attack, whatever, something that once they get in with this tool, and it really is a sort of tool that they've written to exploit the vulnerability that they've identified at day zero. But once they've written the code, guess where it goes next? The dark web. It goes to hacker sites. It goes for sale in the black market. It goes somewhere where now it's being propagated. Now it's yeah, not it just part that of one genius guy. Uh huh? Yeah it, yeah, it becomes part of automated tool sets that anybody can use. And that, that's the thing, because even in the early days of propagation, it's still going to be a finite set of people. But once it's out there in the web and, 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 and in the tour sites and, and in various different um, mechanisms that are used uh, by the black hat characters out there, uh, well, it's just a matter of time before everybody has it. And then once everybody has it in that community, then it becomes so common 
But guess what we start doing? We start actually introducing it into our ethical hacking classes as part of our uh, <laughs> threat and offensive security uh, threat management. In other words, with ethical hacking, the goal is to know the tools, techniques, and procedures of the black hats so that we can better defend against them and also simulate the attacks to do more thorough testing. But the point is, once it gets to the point that we know about it in the academic community, and we're teaching it <laughs> in the class, anybody, you know, what we used to call script kitties or even script monkeys, anybody yeah. could exploit the vulnerability. Yeah. You know, so the idea of this That's guy, a DevOps guy, <laughs> you know, made oh. that blunder. It says a lot, doesn't it? This is this is tradition. I don't want to get us into a tangent, but this is traditionally why, like engineers and cybersecurity guys, we don't get along, right? Because <laughs> it's stuff like this. But but see, I see. We talked about this before, right? And I I, I mentioned like anytime we get something like this into an academic setting, it should mean that it stops being an effective tool for uh, hackers, right? Yeah. Because we know about it. We know how to do it. We know how to defend against it, and it's a lot less complicated than people may expect. But at the end of the day, you know, I see this being an issue, a two, a twofold issue, right? I think first and foremost, uh, you have to have considerations for the enterprise uh, and the organization when it comes to like how to safeguard your systems and your people and your data and your resources from uh, third party exploitation. Like, just because you have a user that uses, uh, you know, like in this case with LastPass, uses Plex on their home system, all of a sudden now you have a whole nother vector of attack that you have to consider, that you have to do something about, right? There's a blind side there for a lot of organizations due to third-party applications, third-party services, things that are well outside their purview, and they have to consider how to uh, address those things. Yeah. One of the you ways know, that we do that, obviously, uh, good, good. No, you, you know, you know, this kind of reminds me of, you know, the, the, there's an old adage, uh, the, the shoemaker's children have bare feet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the idea that this person who is a professional at, at producing something, doing something, you know, doesn't take care of home. Is, is, is a story that we hear over and over and over again. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I can, I can even say I've been guilty of it. You know, I don't do half of what I should do and, and what I know how to do, you know, when it comes to systems that I take for granted sometimes, you know, and it, 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 it can be, I mean, it would be humiliating to be, you know, hacked, but, you know, but, you know, it's, it's something that that's, as that's a professional, a he should have known, you know, well, and he that's the thing known. is we don't know. We don't know the LastPass policy on work from home, telework, or accessing uh, work resources from like home computers. Like we don't know what they have in place security wise. None of that's really come out yet, or I haven't seen anything come out yet. But I think it's and safe that, to that, assume that may not come out, and then and, and that may never come out. It probably won't, to be yeah, honest with yeah. you. Yeah, um, I, I mean, know. unless they like decide to, unless honestly they decide to throw this person under the bus, which they, I mean, I mean, who knows? Because I mean, they're. You know, <laughs> you know, I, when, they, when they're doing damage I, control, that's possible. You're right. I mean, is there is there any kind of uh, there's liability issues, I'm sure. But anyways, oh, sure. know, the point sure. the point being, though, is uh, we don't know what the security was in place on the last pass side. However, we do know the security that was in place on the Plex side. 
right? Which was where this initiated. And that was taken care of by the organization, by Plex, through a security update. When a piece of software gets a patch or an update, it has to get installed because of yeah. things like this. It can exactly. cascade into uh, a, a huge mess that you know you didn't even see coming. Yeah, it, it really can. And you know, you know, I'm a big advocate of zero trust architecture and um, the idea mm-hmm. of not trusting an endpoint anyway. Uh, but mm-hmm. when you're talking about internal developers producing the source code for a system. You know, that that has to be a trusted situation, a a trusted environment. And uh, depending on the extent to which uh, he was using uh, some remote host, you know, that's a problem. But that's, you know, but there are solutions for that. That's that's where you get into VDI. That's that's when you, you know, uh, use mechanisms that don't actually allow you to trust the home computer at all, you know. Mm-hmm. There are ways to do it to resist or, or, or uh, to make the probability of that sort of an attack extremely unlikely. But it seems like their policies and, and their architectures to facilitate his, his work from home or wherever he was working from uh, uh, assigned a little bit too much trust to his endpoint. It, it's possible, but you know, there's a lot of ways around this, right? You know, work from home is becoming a, a mainstay. It's becoming a, a norm now, and you know, a lot of organizations, you know, organizations we've worked with before, you know, if there is a need to get access to backend resources, you typically do it through a VPN, right? You do it through a VPN, so you have secured access. You have authentication measures set up, typically multi-factored, right? And you have some sense of security for whatever environment you're going to be working in. It's hard to say what happened in this specific case, but at the end of the day, you know, there was a clear lapse on the user end. And that is, we can only conject, we, we, we don't know for sure what exactly happened or what the thought process was behind, I don't know, not updating Plex. <laughs> but, you know, it's really easy to look at, look yeah. at these kinds of services or software and forget about them not do the update or go, ah, I'll get to that tomorrow, tonight, whatever, and just forget about it. And all of a sudden, that's that's the way you get breached. That's the yeah. vector of attack. And then you become a victim. And you know, it's funny. I, I, I want to give a, give a shout out to a, um, a colleague named, named, named Dustin Robbins. Um, one time we were working, working our situation together, and uh, I'm an old Java developer. and uh, I'm thinking about how Java works. Now, the, the way Java works is it's designed with the principle of write once, run anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea of the code never actually running on the local machine, but running in, in a Java virtual machine, a, a runtime environment. Now, because of that, I was having a hard time seeing how a breach was, was actually happening. I was like, it just didn't make any sense to me. What I knew got in the way. And, and, and my colleague Dustin said, well, hey, did they update the local installation of the JVM? And, you know, <laughs> a light bulb went off, you know? And obviously, I, you know, I, I ran, ran down, talked to everybody about it and, and, and everything. Matter, matter of fact, I made such a big deal about it. Dustin said, hey, that was my idea. <laughs> but it's all good. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was a team effort. But the thing is, because he was not a developer and he was used to dealing with software, 
he saw it from the perspective of software baseline. While I was trying to find a programmatic solution, I was trying to find some sort of architectural, logical solution to the way the actual code was processing. And it had nothing to do with that. That was not the issue. That wasn't the vector. That wasn't the weakness. That wasn't in any way where the problem was. You know, his perspective allowed him to see just the simple thing of the part that is installed. Is it up to date? And guess what? They do. Even though source code will work from generation to generation in in a programming environment like Java, uh, they do have to update their JDKs and and SDKs and, and and their runtime environments on a regular basis because new ways are found to break into through a back door because of the runtime environment that processes the the Java code, which is bytecode, and processes it Mm -hmm. down into the machine code that works on a particular platform. But that's kind of what happens sometimes. I I can see how a developer is thinking on one level, but we know how we deal with computers. They're layers. You know, and 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 yeah, you know, something that's happening at a totally different layer. Sometimes you'll have a blind side to it. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that's not to, even... to, to defend the guy. I'm just saying that that, that <laughs> is something that is something that does happen. And 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 I think that's where training and and reminders, even of people who are technically sophisticated, you know, are, are, are still important. I, well, I think it happens to security engineers. I think it happens to CISOs. I think it happens to CIOs when they're instituting policy that the idea that this ha- that you can get hacked, it must be complicated, right? Because we have these various safeguards in place. We have shiny box A that prevents whatever and monitors intrusions and so on and so forth. And the idea that, I don't know, some you know DevOps engineer just didn't, didn't you know install the patch there's that often is the case we've seen those yeah. kinds of situations play out where the users are the are the weakness right where the yeah. users are the weakness whether it's not following policy not knowing policy uh or so on and so forth there's a lot of ways around this right um you yeah. know like on my phone my phone requires me to do a software update and it reminds me two, three times. And then there eventually there's a point where I can't use my phone anymore until I actually, you know, do the update. There's a lot of ways around this. But and, and that's case- really what I was going to say. That's that's really what, what, what I was about to say. When, when you think about it, you know, do we really want to rely on uh, the the user to be responsible for something so critical? There has to be a way of either creating uh, some sort of quarantine process or some sort of health check process that eventually locks a system out until it, you know, uh, reaches a certain uh, level of, of of integrity, security integrity, mm-hmm. you know, or something. I mean, th- there are tools that check to make sure that everything is up to date before trusting it. You know, uh, obviously that probably wasn't the case here, but you know, and 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 maybe they've already thrown them under the bus. Maybe the report that uh, uh, that that you got that we got uh, is them throwing him under the bus. Maybe it's not even entirely true. Maybe he did keep stuff up a day. (laughs) Let's just assume that the report is accurate. And assuming that the report is accurate, let me say, just assuming that the report is accurate, it means that their process relied upon him to maintain the security baseline. That is not good uh, process. 
Right. You know, we always talk about the three right. legs, right? You got people, you yep. got technology, you got processes. That's mm-hmm. a bad process if the only way your security is intact, if a user of that system has to update and maintain security baselines. That's a problem. That's yeah. not good process. I, I do think it's important to know where this report came from, right? So and I'll put, we'll put our sources in the comments below, but uh, or in the description below. But you know, this this information is coming from a lot of different sources. But one of the ones that actually got a quote from Plex was the Hacker News, and the Hacker News basically wrote ha, has an article on this. And what Plex provided was the statement that we're not responsible for this breach of LastPass because it came from a vulnerability that is three years old that we patched three years ago. And that yeah. was not installed on this user system. So that that's, I think, Plex covering their bases. And, and mainly yeah. because what came out in the last couple of weeks was that the DevOps uh, engineer, uh, there was rumors about where uh, the vector of attack, you know, was, uh, how they actually got access to the system. What, what is it, was it a whaling attack? what kind of thing happened and it started coming out that plex may have been related to this because it was on a home system and so it makes sense for plex to get ahead of this and basically say yeah it was that but we're not responsible for it right so it definitely was a third party issue and the responsibility is really unfortunately on this you know this engineer unfortunate for them but the way LastPass yeah. has their security you know, obviously, we know ways to get around this and not like put the responsibility of securing our environment on the user who doesn't but know how to do that. That's 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 kind of my point. You know, not not all us- users have to be novices to still be treated as as users, right? Um, and right. and and in this case, I, I have to go back to process because you know we've talked about BYOD before. Bring your own device, and and generally the concept of BYOD was. It, is anathema. People are like, oh my God, how could you ever have a trusted enterprise environment where people are bringing in a motley collection of various types of devices, different configurations, different security status and all. That sounds like a nightmare. And it does if you have your architecture and your processes built around the necessity for endpoint security. Mm. In this situation, I think we're seeing that an attempt at doing a halfway job of a BYOD sort of approach. I mean, why is he using a home computer and why is a home computer an effective attack vector? I mean, we have to assume that home computers are gonna get breached. The idea is that can they pivot off that home computer and affect something more sensitive? And if they can, that's bad architecture. That's bad process, that's bad design. Yes, the engineer in his home computer should have had that had had the three year old update updated. But you also have to question why his home computer was connected had access to, to a DevOps environment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, had access to, to a critical yeah. environment uh, that was part yeah. of a, a, a commercial security company. I mean, I mean, think about what LastPass is. I mean, they're supposed to be protecting everybody's passwords. <laughs> I mean. You know, yeah. and I, you know, I'll last, be honest with you. Last, that's why this has created fodder for months at this point. Because yeah, last, I, know. I mean, they built their entire brand on being secure, right? That's the whole yeah. idea. And oh, but you know, yeah, oh, just use your home computer. Oh, we, we don't do any health checks of our endpoints. Oh, you know, you want to use this third-party streaming service? Oh, we don't care about that. You know, yeah. you know, hey, I, why don't you do 
some, knows? I mean, split, do some split tunnels to your VPN while you're at. <laughs> yeah. I think you there's know? another consideration. I, mean, I think there's another consideration that that is even worse, right? That they didn't that? know that this yeah. individual had access, right? Maybe it wasn't condoned, but they didn't know. So it's not, it's incompetence, right? I mean, because yeah. that's where you come into the play where it's like, why aren't you checking? How? Why don't you know? that somebody has, you know, essentially backdoor access to your development environment. That's not good. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. We see that a lot in uh, unregulated industries, right. Where you yes. kind of have, you know, environments that are built to be quick, fast, efficient, and, and get the job done, but they're right. not always the most secure. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're kind of, I, I'm not going to throw it out there. I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I have no, a feeling but, that this is but stemming you do have a from point. a lot of that. Well, you know, and I think it also speaks back to something we've talked about before of where people place cybersecurity in their, you know, tiers of importance. And very often right. they just say, throw some technology at it. You know, we don't need to have people that are, you know, looking over the matter of fact, you know, we're, we're an IT organization. We, you know, we're a technology company. You know, all of our guys know cybersecurity. We don't need to hire cybersecurity guys or hire, hire a third party company to, to, to look at whether or not we have effective security governance because we're all gurus. Yeah. Uh, and look what happened. You know, the problem happens. is yeah. <laughs> people, people by nature are always going to look for a shortcut. You know, they're going to create backdoors. The reason why we find so many backdoors in software is because, you know, the developer produced the back door so that they could have a shortcut for getting to whatever they need to get to in their program. You know, uh, we used to call them maintenance hooks. And guess what? When we uh, transition from, from uh, the development stage of the software to the production stage of the software, we forget or the developers would forget to close mm -hmm. those back doors up and, and resecure it uh, because, you know, we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about the deadline. We're thinking about the bonus we're going to get when this thing goes live. We're, we're thinking about the party when we do the countdown and, 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 and jello shots or whatever else they're going to do to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not thinking about the reality that they opened up yep. some back doors while they were doing their job. And yes, they were doing and their then, job and it was for the expedience of doing their job, but it was a security mistake. And then typically you have security assessors <laughs> go in right. and point out, hey, you forgot to close out all these back doors. You should fix that before you go ahead and, and put this into a production environment. That's not always done. In fact, no, that's not, often not, not like not it should. <laughs> and and often, like should. often what's done is they'll do a sequence of testing, but they won't actually hire truly competent application security specialists to do mm. that testing. They'll let their own internal team, you know, grade their own homework and say, yeah, we, we did the testing. We did regression testing. We did, we did stress testing. We did some security testing. We did X, Y, Z, but did you do some penetration testing? You know, did right. you actually do more than just stress testing through fuzzing? Did you actually, you know, look for malicious vectors? You know, that's right. not something that is part of even even a lot of organizations, sec DevOps procedures. It's just not there. Uh, so there's a this, this is just a, a, a combination of a lot of blunders that are very obvious for us to see. And, and we're looking at it from 30,000 you know, feet. You know, we're, we're looking at it from a great distance and we can see huge blunders here. Yeah. And of course, yeah, I, you know, I can't imagine what, here... the, what the incident was 
but the incident reports yeah. got detailed in it, right? Oh my now. god! I mean, it's got to be yeah. a wealth of you know, uh, a blunders here. Um, because I mean, you remember the response? Uh, we're not going to go into the LastPass hack itself. That's another episode. Maybe it was worth of content that we can go into. But you know, there's there's there. It seems like a, a cavalcade of errors, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. Right? You know, it's, a, it's a lot yeah. of it's a lot of things that have kind of going wrong, and it kind of stems from like ultimately giving a standard user or a user too much, you know, power uh, in ensuring that, you know, the environment itself is secure. And I, th I think that's why, like, we, we, some of the things that we run into a lot when we work with our customers is looking at, those, at their environments and showing them something they've never seen before. I didn't know hmm. this asset was able to access this, or I didn't even know that this person had this device on my system, or I didn't even know that this piece of software was installed on this server. And that is such a precarious position to be in when you're trying to secure an environment, when you have these random things popping up left and right, so many blind spots that, yeah, of course you're going to have so many vulnerabilities associated with them. And this might have been one of those cases where they just didn't have a handle on what their environment actually was. Uh, and this is a complete blind spot for them. Yeah, exactly. It, it, exactly. It'll be interesting to see in the coming months. I, I would be interested to see what happens, uh, what their response is with this DevOps engineer. Uh, yeah. I would imagine, I, they'll, they'll I would imagine that if they had stuff, I mean, yeah, I'm sure if they had stuff in place that was supposed to like, you know, uh, guard against this type of, of issue or, you know, the, the, the engineer just violated cybersecurity policy. I mean, I don't know. What do you do then as a company? You put out liability statements, you sue. I don't know. Maybe there's a civil, maybe there's a civil suit in this at some point, yeah. but and, you know, and, and I don't know. In the end, it's, it's, there's very little that they can do to their employee, but there's a lot that the users of LastPass could do against LastPass. You know, I mean, it, the way this thing is going, I'll be surprised yeah. if, if they're not filing chapter 11, uh, if not chapter seven in bankruptcy in the near future, because this has to be an existential threat to the company. Now, we're again, we're not saying, you know, uh, to take any financial action or, or, or make any decisions or abandon your, uh, uh, you know, your use of this. We're not, you know, for or against, you know, we're agnostic. But uh, yeah, when you look listen, at all this listen, information, I, you, you may find yourself coming to a particular decision <laughs> with respect I, to. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be a little bit, I'll be a little bit more black and white about it, right? If, if I or, somebody I truly cared about was using a service that was supposed to safeguard passwords that was the victim of a massive data breach. I would ask them why on, on, on earth are they still using <laughs> that service? Right. You got, I, you got to wonder I at some point. I don't know what, um, uh, I don't know the level of trust a user can have in a service that has been vic the victim of something like this, especially seeing the the circumstances surrounding the breach itself, right? Yeah. Um, and I because think that that I think that's why, as just a general, and coming from like a general user's perspective, I think that's why cybersecurity seems so obtuse, and why it, a lot of people may feel kind of just shut off to even like to even considering, you know, uh, cyber risk because 
you got to put so much faith in these companies just to have the littlest bit of convenience uh, yeah. on, on the internet that it, the alternatives are really hard to deal with and consider, right? When you consider, right. yeah, maybe these people really don't know what they're doing, or maybe they don't have my best interest in heart, right? That's, yeah. that's a whole, that, that's but that scary. is something that users should be and asking themselves when they do sign up for services like these. I mean, it, 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 it is a, it, it's, it is a, res a personal responsibility thing. I think uh, to an extent that you have to investigate yeah. what are they doing? How are they doing it? And does it fit? Is, is that okay for me? Like, can I accept yeah. the risk of, of allowing these people to, you know, control um, my passwords <laughs> to everything yeah. I use? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But you know, the, the, the fundamental lesson here is practice good cyber hygiene. There should never be a situation where a three-year-old vulnerability is the vector of attack that takes you down. That, that's like losing your job because you haven't bathed in a week, a month, or some, some amount of time that just makes you foul. <laughs> because it's inexcusable. The, the, you know, if, if you miss a day, people may forgive you. You know, may even tell you, you know, as, as a friend. <laughs> but if you are just perennially funky, you know, no one wants to be around you. <laughs> this is bad cyber yeah. hygiene. No one should have a three year old vulnerability as the vector of attack. That's and just wild. make that for everybody at home. Just keep that in mind, too. Check your system for vulnerabilities. There are ways to do it for free. You know, if you're a student, you can download uh, a copy of Nexus for free, you know, yeah. um, and many others can 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 you can use some open source stuff. There are different tools that can scan. You can scan your own system and say, hey, is everything on my system up to date? You know, and maybe we'll do a video talking about some of the tools uh, in the Cali toolkit. For instance. There, there, there are tons of tools. Free tools. At the very least, the make sure is, your operating system is up to date. I mean, <laughs> make sure the, the OS is up to date, but sure also make have, sure make sure yeah. your software is up to date. But, you know. In the options or settings of just about every program, there is an option you can turn on saying, keep my system up to date. Mm -hmm. Do it. Mm -hmm. That's automatic basic, downloads. Automatic basic, updates. Basic. All the time, every day. Yeah. Basic cyber hygiene. I, I think there's something else too, though, to this, right? I think the other thing is for uh, individuals on the other side of the fence, the cybersecurity architects out there, the CISOs, the CIOs that are out there, I think you have to assume that people are not showering when they get home. I think you have to make that assumption and you can't build a, uh, a huge backdoor into, into vital resources of your systems uh, for those folks. I, I think you yeah. have to assume that, that that's going to be a risk and you have hackers, to address that risk accordingly. Hackers are always going to look for the weakest link. If you allow yeah. the weakest link to persist in your environment, you know, like the old TV show, bye-bye, <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah, right. That's it. You know, the weakest link. You're the weakest link. Now they're in. Don't tolerate those weakest links. You know, yeah, look for the weakest link. Secure your, your, your six. Well, that's, that's all I really want to say about that one. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for us today uh, on the Cyber Guys podcast. Remember, if you like this episode, go ahead and hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. Let's go. We got, we're on the road to 100. Let's get us to 100. All right. <laughs> Don't Let's say get that. us to 100. <laughs>
Don't say 100. Well, we're on the road to 100, man. Let's go. All right. Don't forget, you can find us on all of your major podcast platforms. So if you want to go ahead and listen to us, uh, by all means, go ahead and look at the description of this episode so you can see all the links uh, for where you can find us. And don't forget, stay safe, be secure, be sure. We'll see you next time. Take care.